and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back, everyone. As you know, in every episode we run, we talk to people about challenges. It is important to get to know them. Which is why, before we get to their challenge, I find out their story, their achievements, the things that they've done, so that when we hear their challenge later in the episode, we have context and it makes so much more sense as to the reason they are the person they are and have done the things that they've done. We look at what happened with their challenge, what they've learnt, how it's inspired them. So this episode is really going to highlight that because the person we're going to talk to has lived our life. They have done a lot of things. So before we get to the challenge, we're going to be hearing an incredible story and it is important that we do so because so much of what we hear after hearing the challenge will make so much sense. So keep this in mind. We're going to be going into a big story, probably about 30 minutes before we even get to the challenge, but it is all connected. Today, let me introduce you to Cheryl. We talk about adoption. We talk about what it's like being in the army, doing a six-day sporting event, working in prisons, and so much more. I want to mention Cheryl's studies before the episode as we don't actually get into this in our chat. She has a Bachelor of Arts majoring in social welfare, a Bachelor of Social Work, a graduate diploma of social science majoring in health counselling, a diploma of disability and a master's of business administration specialising in dispute resolution. That in itself will give you an idea of how driven and dedicated this woman is to learning and helping others. I think you're all going to love this episode, so let's get into it. So with that, I'd really like to welcome Cheryl onto the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on. Thank you very much, Ali. I'm pleased to be here. It's exciting. <laughs> I love that when I messaged you to see if this is something you'd be interested in, you like sent me this picture of the beach and at that time it was like freezing here in Armadale and I was like, oh, I want to be there. And also with like COVID, it's like you're not, I'm not used to seeing people send pictures from being away. Uh, no, we were. I was over there with my partner. We've got a little house at this place called Arno Bay, which is about 100 kilometres north of Port Lincoln. And we haven't been able to get there since March, April last year. So he went over a little bit earlier and I joined him and I was paddling my kayak, which had been sitting waiting for me. (laughs) Oh, how beautiful. It was the most gorgeous photo. And it just made me remember that I think it's one of the challenges over these last couple of years with COVID is we haven't as a society been able to book in holidays. And what's that meant with work is you constantly feel like you're going and on this rat wheel and you actually don't have that next big exciting thing to look forward to. Yeah, no, it was lovely. Not long enough, sadly, because I was back at work within about six or seven days, but it's okay. (laughs) It's never long enough. (laughs) So Cheryl, I love to start these podcasts with a bit of a different question and it kind of just draws out a little bit about who you are and how you walk in the world. So Mm. if you were to pick an animal to describe you, 
What animal would you choose and why? It's a, probably it, it's an interesting question. And you think immediately the animals you like, but that's not necessarily the animal that would describe me. And I think that, I don't know, if I was going to pick an animal to describe me, I probably have difficulty even thinking about it. I immediately, when you said that, thought of a bear. And I don't know why I thought of a bear, but I think of a bear as probably an animal that's quite strong. And I think that that's what I see myself as, is a very strong person. So I think I'll go with a bear. <laughs> it's interesting. Someone else has said a bear before and they said because they're big and cuddly and I was like, pardon? Are we talking about the same animal? Because they are, they are strong, but they're a bit ferocious as well. Like, you know, they've got that kind of like really strong kind of get it done, do what they need to. They're kind of the king of the forest. Yeah, I, I'm probably not ferocious. I like getting things done, but I just thought of myself as, as, I just thought of the bear as being a strong, and I'm thinking more about who I am inside, not outside, obviously. And uh, um, yeah, I just think I'm strong and I've always valued that, but it hasn't always been there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I I think we'll be unpacking some of that today around where that strengths come from and what mm. that looks like in your world today. And the other question I love to ask is is there a place or a room that you had growing up that you loved and what was it about that room or place? I'm not going to say that I loved. I'm going to say that I wanted to be in. Mm -hmm. And there were two places in the house that I grew up in. One of them was my bedroom. And the other one was a little nook in our lounge room. Our lounge room was a, a sort of a bit of an L shape. And there was a nook which had all the dad's books in the corner. And I had, or particularly at high school, a table set up there where I would do homework. And it was really more of an escape than actually where I wanted to be. I, I wanted to be there. I didn't necessarily love it. It was where I always wanted to be. And were you a big reader when you were little? Oh, yes, and and right through my adult years. But I haven't read much the last three or four years, which might come out later on perhaps for yeah. reason why. Yeah. 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 And were mm. there certain books that you remember that you loved as a child? Uh, growing up, I was for a period of time right into science fiction, and I really dislike science fiction now. But, no, I just love books and mm. always have – Probably once I was post-teenage years, I've just enjoyed a good read. I'm not into romance books or anything. I like a, a nice, meaty read, if that makes sense, something that has some substance, yeah. And do you still use the books or have you moved on to the computers? It always fascinates me. Yeah, my partner who's an avid reader, I was always buying him books and he's gone to a Kindle. I read books. I still like to pick that book up, yeah. And do you keep your books or do you give them away once you've read them? I keep the special ones and then I like to move the others on for other people to read. And tell us a little bit about you, Cheryl. I know there's been so much colour in your life. From the moment I started talking to you, it was just like this constant like, what? My God, wow. <laughs> like I feel like we spoke for two hours and I think it was about 10 minutes yep. and I was just so just blown away by everything you were saying. Are you able to tell us a little bit about, you know, the chapters of your life and what's got you to where you are today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has been. I, I've, I think I've had a rough but wonderful journey through life and I've got so much that I can take out of it and value. Well, I grew up in Melbourne and um, I was adopted 
which has got quite a story attached to it as well. And I grew up in a family where, a, a very middle class Melbourne family, but there was, I guess, just some of that life that I lived was very uncomfortable for me growing up and obviously has caused some, no, I don't know about issues, but it's probably helped to lead me to where I've got to today. At 17, I, I needed to move out of home for myself. It was not a decision made for me at all. And so I actually joined the army. And mm. for the next probably 10 or so years, I just loved that life. I loved the army. And I got an opportunity to travel around a few places in Australia. It, this was back in the, the early 1970s as well. So it was an interesting time because Vietnam, was ending so a lot of the national servicemen were finally coming back home and the army was just a really interesting place at that time and women still could not do a lot at all if you got pregnant or you got married or anything like that off you out you went but I was lucky that through the late 70s they started to introduce women into other areas of the army so I had some really wonderful experiences whilst I was in there and during the mid-80s, I uh, left the army because I'd, be, I'd been married in, in the late 70s and that marriage was a mess to say the least and um, it didn't last very long. And I met another fellow after I'd gotten out of the army and we moved over to Port Lincoln and that's my connection over to Port Lincoln, my initial connection. And I relocated over to there. I had done a job for about 12 months in Adelaide because I'd got out of the army in Adelaide. I did a, a bit of a stint with St John Ambulance there and I hated it because I loved the army so much that when I got out, I just thought every civilian was an idiot for about the first six months because <laughs> I was so, so I guess, um, just really into that, that whole life. I just want to pause you there because it's like you're ready to go into the next chapter and I have so many questions about the oh. army, like even yeah. just thinking <laughs> about when you said it was the 70s, there wouldn't have been many women at all in the army, no. was there? I think for about a day or two days, I was the youngest person in the army because I joined not long after I was 17. And at that point in time, I believe there was only around about 800 women and probably about 25,000 or 30,000 men. So it was um, yeah, very, very, very different in many respects to now. We did our training at uh, what was called Rack School at Mossman in Sydney and I'd come from Melbourne so it was my first aeroplane flight um, to, to join the army and so it was all women whereas now people do their recruit training mixed you know males and females yeah. so I spent six weeks there. It's my first away from home and I'd led a very closeted life at home. Yeah. And then to step into something like that that's so rigid and disciplined and what were some of the highlights in the army? Oh, oh my God. I don't know. Probably for me that first six months was just a bit of a blur because I had led a very, very probably rigid and disciplined life at home and so the army wasn't all that much a big deal. But the actual freedoms I got, I know I drank a lot of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. But, I, it, you know, that first six months was, I, I guess, a bit of an adjustment for me. I just loved the military life, and I'm probably struggling to know why. I do love having 
something to work within structure and I'm still a very structured person. I can't tell you, Ali. I loved it. I can hear the passion and I'm curious. I'm like, what What was it? Was it the certainty of the structure? And also, I guess you said that you're someone that likes to get stuff done. Was the opportunity for you to be able to grow and expand within the army? Yeah, I sort of did okay in the army. No, I I loved things like for a while, in whilst I was posted to Adelaide, I was with a army recruit training it was for training group in, in Adelaide and they trained the army recruit soldiers and officers. So got a lot of opportunities to, to go out into the field, learnt to fire a rifle, got my truck licence, did a lot of navigation, loved, I loved drill. Um, I don't know, can't tell you, just loved it, yeah. So why did you end up leaving? Bad relationship yeah. and, and that was causing some difficulty because, yeah, it was just bad. Yeah bad relationship yeah my marriage yeah basically yeah Mm. and so you left the army and what happened next uh well I I met a fellow I worked for a little while in Adelaide didn't like it at all and I met a fellow and he came from Port Lincoln so I traveled over to Port Lincoln with him and started living in this little place called Louth Bay which was just outside of Port Lincoln and that relationship didn't continue but that was okay but what happened was I didn't have a job over there and um, I was just walking up the road one day and there was a brand new youth shelter and they were looking for youth workers and they didn't have funding, they only had seeding grant and so they were paying $2 an hour <laughs> for youth workers. Well, I wasn't a youth worker, but they were desperate for youth workers and so I actually started working there, remained there for 11 years and became wow. the manager over that time wow. and started studying social work. And so that was my first introduction to university. And I was, I started my uni studies when I was 32 or 33 because I, I had my daughter when I was 34. So I, when I start, so I was at the youth um, service had decided that, oh, I quite like this type of work. And so I started studying uh, Bachelor of Social Science and Social Welfare and then eventually did a Bachelor of Social Work and a few other things. But I um, immediately felt pregnant with her. I, by now I'd met somebody else and I had just been married again, which is Emma, my daughter's father, and I immediately felt pregnant as soon as I started studying. So I was working shift work and at this shelter. I was doing, um, I was studying and I was pregnant and so my life was very busy then. Yes. How did you manage that? Like just pause for a moment there. How did you get through that? I don't know, probably a little bit lucky. My husband, Emma's dad, he actually was only worked part-time and so, and he, he, he did a lot of work around the house and that and with um, Emma and that as well for a while, but that marriage fell apart too. Not very good at marriages. <laughs> but I've been with my current partner for 20, 24 years, so if we haven't married, that's probably been the good thing there. <laughs> Maybe we might ask you a little bit later on on a few tips there because, you know, it's so true. I don't know if this is what you think, but the more relationships you have, the more you kind of narrow down who it is you want to spend your life with and what you do look for in a partner and what you don't look for in a partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm a relationship guru, yeah. No, no, but I hope they started paying you more than $2 an hour though. Did that change? Uh, yes, yeah. No, that was that was all fine. That was good. And it led me into a great career and I will will call it a career because I I was at the shelter for those 11 years and whilst I'd been working there, I'd 
done a placement with the equivalent of docs over here, but they called it something else in South Australia. Then I also was sort of approached by correctional services over there to, I love writing and I've loved writing probably ever since I was at school. And I was approached to see whether or not I'd like to write pre-sentence and parole reports for correctional services in South Australia. So I became a contract report writer with them for a couple of years and then I was asked whether or not I would like a position there as what they called a senior practitioner, which was at that point in time in community, it was in community-based corrections, managing parolees and people on correctional orders from the courts, etc., and home detention. And so I decided that I would. And so that was a great opportunity because I didn't have to apply through the normal channels. I was actually approached and went over there. That's where I finished my Bachelor of Social Work and whatnot. And so I eventually became a case manager for the northern regional area of South Australia. So I used to travel a lot between... Sejuna, Port Pirie, Port Augusta, Wyala, and back down, which was my base, Port Lincoln, for quite a number of years managing the community corrections officers and the social workers. So I uh, so, and I was part of the management team for the northern region. So that was um, just a, 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 such a, a great learning experience for me about myself, I think, is probably yeah. the greatest thing I got out of all of that. I learned who I was and, and it helped me change, I guess, some of my very entrenched from childhood, not so much morals, just some of those opinions we, we tend to have that are too rigid. And yeah. it, it's, I challenged myself a lot. So that was fantastic. And then my daughter by now, she'd been born in 1990, I was traveling away so much that I decided that I needed to, to be in her life a little bit more. And so at around the age of 10, I had an opportunity to move into the prison. There was a prison in Port Lincoln. So I became what was called the intervention manager slash social worker there for a while. And I loved it. I just so enjoyed that. So you were there, sorry, you said you were living in the prison with your daughter? No, 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 no. I was living in Port Lincoln, but the prison yes. was just outside yes. of Port Lincoln. Yeah, no, 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 not living. Yeah, so I'd go there every day. And so I used to work with the prisoners, getting them ready for release. Um, I was the, just the general social worker, would do a lot of program delivery to prisoners. And um, that was great. I had some great time, a great time there. Probably it's a little bit time limited, I think. You know, like it, it can be a bit tough in there. So, Cheryl, I'd imagine like you're just rattling this off the tongue, right? You're like, and I did this and I did this and I went over here and it was a great opportunity. And I'm just sitting here blowing my mind thinking there wouldn't have been many women in that industry either back then, would there? Uh, no, probably increasing. Yeah. No, no, not necessarily a lot. It was, I think you needed to get the respect of the, you know, I'll say clients, prisoners to work very effectively and I think I was able to do that. I've, I, this sounds dreadful, but it's very true. I've never been a very oozing feminism sort of person. I'm pretty just down to earth. I'm, mm. I rarely wear makeup. And so I guess going to work, I was never that little girl. Like I was never very girly girly. And mm. so I guess I've always also, particularly as probably from my, my 30s, I've been able to really develop good relationships with people fairly quickly. And so 
I was able to connect with with prisoners fairly well. Irrelevant to what they had done, and let me tell you, they're yeah. the worst of the worst as opposed to just that offender who keeps coming back in and out because I've done silly things. They're, you yeah. know, across the spectrum. So I learned that I had to accept the person sitting in front of me Yeah, and I had to work with them. I didn't have to like what they'd done, agree with what they'd done or their life choices, but I had to accept her. And every, let me tell you, I am so much a person that believes we all have a story and that story is so important about who we are. Yeah, and what's mm. led you to where you are today. Yeah, yeah, whether it's me or anybody, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I can imagine there would have been some stories that you've heard over the years. What are the things when you think back to those days, particularly working in the prison, what are some of the challenges and some of the highlights from those days? I'll tell you a highlight. Yeah which was very exciting for me. I love quizzes. I just love quizzes. And if you take me to a quiz night, I'm like a football coach with my team. <laughs> yeah, so I love quizzes. I'm coming. I'm going to come down to Tamworth and we're going to go out for uh, a night. <laughs> yeah, so I got permission to deliver a quiz night in the prison. And so that um, obviously led to a whole range of things that had to be put in place for this to happen. But what I did was externally I got in touch with a few of the, you know, things like Lions and Rotary and Red Cross and places like that and got them to make donations. And some Mm -hmm. of the church groups even came in and participated, you know, because some of the churches would visit the prison for support for prisoners. So got all these people and we got donations. We had... um, Kentucky Fried Chicken donated. We had, um, you know, stamps and bedding, things that prisoners could use. So this thing was put in place. I won't go into great detail, but the prisoners either had to participate or they were locked in their cells, you know, mm-hmm. the, the night this thing on. So people people that were allowed to come in for it, which were those um, like church groups, etc., all would come in. And anybody that was participating, everybody was locked down in the kitchen so it was a lockdown night but everybody was in the kitchen and yeah. so so the prisoners made all of the food and that because the prisoners that were working in the kitchen made heaps of food there was quite a number of aboriginal people in the prison and they had their own dorm they did some music stuff um, yeah. midway through the quiz and everything and i had just heaps of lollies so we ran the quiz night as a normal quiz night that tables wow. of however many and, you know, after we'd finish a round, I'd throw out eat the lollies and things, you know, and everybody get yeah. their lollies. And so we just ran this quiz night and it was very, very successful. And I think the success could be felt by over the next couple of weeks or so. It's just the whole atmosphere of the prison was lighter and less stressed and it had yeah. just been something that had... And it was written up in the, the newsletter that would go out to all of um, the prisons, you know, to anything to do with correctional services in South Australia. It was yeah. excellent. There wouldn't be many of those nights, I'd imagine, at all. Like, that's... I, I don't know. <laughs> I worked in a prison in my younger years and that was not something that was no, even... No, like, no, I no, can't no. even picture that, right? Like, to have yeah. so many people in one room yeah, doing no, something that had brought so much joy. Yeah, no, it was excellent. It was great. So that was an achievement. I can remember one time, and I will not in any way talk about what this was, an offender was due for release and Mm. I was allocated to write his parole report. The offending was so horrific and this particular person's behaviour still not appropriate to consider release. But it's the only time in my entire 
working life, I guess I've had to say, I cannot do this. Yeah. And the I cannot do this was more about the fact this is very, very hor- horrible, this was. Mm. But the thought that just the thought that the parole board would say he could be released, I did not want to have any responsibility attached to me for that. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's probably the worst thing that ever happened to me. Mm. And so what happened, what was the, after this, like you've been in the prison, you've done this work, yep. you said you were travelling yep. everywhere, what happened next? Well, I met Tony, my current partner, and he grew up on Air Peninsula. He, he grew up on a farming property with seven siblings, no power until I think he was about 20. And um, wow. anyway, he'd, he'd come out of a bad relationship as well. And he had always wanted to have a cattle property and he was a farmer. He was primarily a sheep and crop growing farmer. And so after we'd been together for two or three years, we decided we would look at moving away. And I had to, that was a big decision for me because I had all these thoughts about maybe I could one day even manage this prison or continue on into a bigger role in correctional services. I loved it and I was doing an MBA. And so I was doing it with purpose at that time, but we were also talking about moving to New South Wales or Queensland so he could have a cattle property. So mm. we started looking. We found one up in Bandara in New South Wales. And so I had to make the decision about whether or not I would leave the prison or I would go with him. I think we need to pause there so people know Bandara is this tiny little town. Like how many yeah. people would be in Bandara? It's not like you're moving to another place where there would be a prison. Oh, no. how- how big's Bandara back then when you bought there? Like a couple of hundred, maybe? Yeah, maybe, not even, maybe that many. No, probably yeah. not that many. Yeah, yeah. it's tiny, because, tiny little town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so probably about a half hour's drive to Inverell, about an hour to Armidale. Yeah. A very, very r- rural community. So we bought a property there. And, yeah, I had to love one and I followed and went. <laughs> so oh. we sold everything there and bought bought this place and um i still continued my studies and finished um the mba which was good so this is the funny part so the whole idea was that we were going to buy this farm this cattle farm and this is where we would eventually retire he was 50 turned 50 the day we moved on to the property it was quite quite interesting it just happened that way and i was going to become the consummate little farm wife and learn (laughs) a little bit about farming blah 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 and Emma was about 12 then and so I'd been at home with him for about four months and it was like this is just not going to happen no way can I work with you every day for the rest of my life I need to get out of here (laughs) so I I picked up uh, just a job teaching at TAFE and so it was literally started off four hours a week and it became absolutely full-time Actually, we were at Bundara for about four years, and then we moved to, to a place called Wallabadar. Which yeah. Is sm- yeah, small like Smaller again. Bundara. Yeah, but it's about 55, 60 kilometres from Tamworth. So anyway, coming to the chase, we moved there. We bought another property there. Emma, my daughter, came home, worked, and she's worked full-time on the property since 2007. And I've lived in Tamworth for the last 10 or 11 years because there's no – internet, mobile phone or anything out on the farm. And I eventually, I worked my way around through TAFE and eventually ended up as a faculty manager for a number of years. And anyway, left there in 2018. And here I am now. I work for Tamworth Community College. Yeah, which is where we met. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah. 
And I do, I also know there's so much to your story and I know we're just, we're not even scratching the surface here, but one of more. the things that I remember when you mentioned it, I was like, pardon the, the what? Can you talk to us about the two six-day triathlons that you did? All right. Um, I'll tell you what led me to do those things. Yes, I tell you please. That? All, right. All right. So I told you I was adopted. My adopted family, so I will always call them my mum and my dad because yeah. they have been my mum and my dad. I have met my natural family. But my mum and dad were very tiny people and they eventually had their own child a couple of years after they had adopted me. And Lynn, my sister's always been very tiny and very much more girly than me. And I was always big and very obese, very, 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 very obese. Anyway, so I'd yo-yoed with weights in my teens, particularly when I wanted to get into the army. And by the time I was in my mid-20s, still in the army, I was a very, very large person again. And uh, so I, I, I knew I needed to lose weight, and I did. So I lost probably about what I call, well, six stone like that because that's what's the that in kilos was. i don't know um a lot like 20 or 30 oh no it'd be more than that 14 pound in a stone so 60 24 probably about a probably about 50 kilos oh my god something. oh i've got pictures you wouldn't even know it was me anyway no. i did it and, and i started running when i was able to after i'd lost a bit of weight and so got absolutely consumed with doing fun runs and then half marathons, and then I trained and did some marathons. And then when I was in, living in South Australia, and I was right into, I, I, I progressed up to running a lot. So there was this in 1986 and 1988 that I did these two, Beneficial Finance were running them. And it was a self-challenge. It was nothing else. There was only about 100, 110 people actually in both events, and a lot of not a lot. There were quite a number of top triathletes. Mm. So this was not about Cheryl because I've always been, even when I've lost a lot of weight, I'm still very solid. So I've got no speed, but I can go forever. And the triathlons were bike riding for two days, two days rowing on the Murray River, canoeing, kayaking, and two days running. So I started training for it and I would do two disciplines a day and probably do about four to five hours training a day Yeah, and I had to have a support crew and everything so I actually um, competed in them both, finished them both so that was an achievement in itself because people weren't finishing them necessarily. Of course they wouldn't be. And then I also on the both days what was so fascinating was that some of the top guys who were still in the lead even though this happened they would just as we were running particularly on that second day so we would run from Murray Bridge into Adelaide on the second day they would just basically you know what they call hit the wall yeah and and they could barely crawl you know and I'd pass them <laughs> and so I think, oh, it was, so it was literally the hair and the and the, the you know tortoise and the hare type thing. Um, and so my, it was a, a self challenge and the completion of them. Yeah, incredible yeah. experience. I mean, I I can't even fathom it. Like I've done a half Ironman to put it in perspective. If people aren't sure what we're talking about, that's well for some people it's a four hour event, but it was a six hour event for me, and that took. <laughs> 
five months of training to get to that day and that was grueling and hard and you're talking about six full days of competing like yeah that blows my mind you could cheat on the second day of the rowing if you wanted to and do what they called a portage where you would pick up you could run with your kayak across land instead of the full paddle around so you would save a lot of time and distance but, I love that that's but, cheating that's just so hard no, I've just got a kayak under my arm and I'm just going to no. do a run <laughs> well but what happened was this fellow made up this cradle for my kayak so it had two BMX wheels and a cradle we found the point of balance of the kayak and on the front of the kayak we put an eye and we'd put a little rope through it and the point of balance meant that I could run with the kayak behind me and I had no weight but no matter what you used to do the portage part, which which is that part where you move with your kayak, yeah. you had to carry everything with you in your kayak the whole day. So we just had this thing that went bop, 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 bop. Off we went, run, 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 back in the water. <laughs> what on earth made you decide that you were going to do a six-day triathlon? Like where did that idea come from? I don't know. Whoa. I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. It was just, wow, this sounds a bit interesting. Maybe I'll give it a go. Maybe that's probably about what happened. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And mm. I know we haven't even got to the challenge yet, but I want to ask you, I just want to go back to the start when you were talking about being overweight and then you were talking about starting to run and then you got into 5Ks, 10Ks, 21. Can we just go back to the very beginning? What did you start with? Uh, I, I couldn't probably move 50 metres. No, so how did you start moving? Because there would be a lot of people listening to this being like, oh. you did what? Like you, it's really hard to actually conceptualize when you talk about it because you make it sound so easy. But what, what did you no. start with when you decided that you were going to do something about that? What was your initial steps? Did you get a coach? Did you just start no. walking? Did you start swimming? Like how did you start? No, um, I didn't get a coach. I did it myself. I guess there had to be something that I was working towards. I, look, I was still in the army at the time and, and probably, actually, let's stop and think about this. They were starting to do a lot more regular fitness testing, etc. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that probably was a bit of the drop. And I did meet some people, but this would have been after I'd lost a little bit of weight, that were very involved in the South Australian Running Club. And I know that was where I moved to and then started getting more and more and more into the running. So I think it would have been my own decision, getting encouraged by others and then getting involved in further. Mm. I truly can't remember. The initial steps. The, no. Because you wouldn't have been able to run. Like there would no, have been something no, before couldn't. running. Yeah, I couldn't run. We. I think that I'm, I am going back in this poor old memory, thinking that it was probably driven by, by the army and the testing at that time, but I can't recall too much more. And I, I can absolutely remember coming out of the barracks that I was living in and barely being able to run 50 metres because I was trying to get to a lamppost and I couldn't get there. But that's yeah. my only real memory of that type of thing. Yeah. And then I would just, well, I, I still do it now. I'm heavily back into bike riding as a 65-year-old woman and I love it and I have got a, you know, and every day since my mid-20s uh, has been I exercise. Mm. And that exercise has changed over the years, obviously. I used to walk 10 kilometres every morning out on the Port Lincoln Highway when I was pregnant with my daughter. My husband would drop me off and I'd walk home. You know, I've never stopped exercising. Is anyone mm. else listening to this and just thinking, 
thinking the thing I wrote down was I decided to do it and I just did it it's like something clicks in your head and you're like I'm just going to sail the waters or I'm going to climb the mountain or I'm going to work in a prison or like it's you might not realize that but there's something that sits in your mind that says I'm going to do this and I'm just going to get it done I think one thing that Cheryl has is that I don't give up yeah Obviously, <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> I'd love to know what it is that drives that not giving up. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. We haven't even got to the challenge yet. We haven't even started on that. So of all of this like crazy life, it sounds crazy and roller coaster and so many ups and downs and so many experiences across multiple platforms. What challenge would you choose to talk about today? Yeah, I have got a couple of challenges and I think I'll talk about my adoption, which has been a challenge for me because a lot of things have happened around my adoption. So as I've mentioned, I was adopted and I was adopted at about six or seven weeks of age. So I have no memory, obviously, but it's the memories of what's happened post that that have um, have been very difficult for me. So my mum and dad, who I will always call my mum and dad, who have brought me up because they will always be my only mum and dad in yeah. that sense. And I will mention this at the end, but I, as much as it's been some terrible things, I have to be grateful for where my life has taken me. Um, yeah. So they have always, that, as soon as I was old enough to understand, they told me I was adopted. And I was told by them that they, the adoption happened very quickly for them because I was supposed to have originally gone to another family, but quite crudely, I guess, I was told that they didn't want me and so they got a phone call to say that there was a child available for them if they wanted to come and get it now. So obviously they had to prepare themselves over a couple of days. And so they were the family who had adopted me. And they had also told me that I was supposed to go to another family in Victoria. And the reason that they didn't want me was because when I was born, and I've got the records to show it's true, I had left side facial paralysis and I had a lot of dermatitis and whatnot all over me. So basically I've always said, because I guess it's how it's been sort of told to me, was that this family came to get me from country Victoria, took one look at me, decided, ooh, don't want that one. And mm -hmm. so mum and dad got me. And that that's how... It's always been for me that I was sort of, I wasn't only, I think about abandonment and annihilation. Yeah. annihilation. Yeah. I was abandoned twice in the one day. Mum handed me over and then that family didn't want me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been, because of how it was told to me, that's how I remember it. And it's, and, it's, it's yeah. stayed with you, you know, it even has, though you yeah. said you were six yeah. weeks old and you may not actually remember it as that yeah. little person, this story no. has been told and it's, yeah. started to make up who you've been over the years yeah and and sadly when I found my natural mother it was sort of a not that she told it like that but the story fitted very well yes and so my mum and dad 
my mother, I believe, and this is obviously over the years as I developed cognitively particularly and understood things differently, my mother never wanted me, my my mum. Lots of things have happened in, in my childhood and in my sister's childhood that tell me my mum never, ever, ever probably wanted children because mm. they'd been married for a long time, about eight years or something, that hadn't had children. I believe she may have even tried not to have children. Mm. And... um Anyway, so my dad, who was a wonderful person, and I won't keep talking about it because then I'll get very emotional. Yeah. His mum's relationship now as an adult, you start to look at it and you can see the differences. I think my mum had significant mental health issues probably. She hated me. I will say that she disliked me so much I believe she hated me. When she eventually had Lynn, and Lynn and I were growing up, we were very much pitted against each other. I was always a fat person in this slim quite attractive family I never right quite fitted there so as Lynn and I grew up particularly in our younger years Lynn could have a lolly jar and Cheryl couldn't Lynn mm. could have long hair Cheryl couldn't Lynn could pick her own clothes Cheryl couldn't because Cheryl's too fat you know so there was lots of things about my my weight and my size and there was always difference between us Mm. And Lynn and I, we really did. We grew up disliking each other. We slept in the same bedroom, but we disliked each other. We didn't really have a chance to like each other, you know, when you no. pit it off like that. And sadly, what my mum did to Lynn was actually poison her mind in other ways. Mm. My sister has some, you know, through her adult life has had some issues that she's tried to deal with and yeah. and whatnot. But anyway, particularly once we started getting up into our teenage years, and I was always pretty clever at school, and so as we as we were getting into our teenage years, got a scholarship like in the early years of school and was never really allowed to benefit from that. Like Lynn and I were told all we were ever going to be was a typist and we would get married and we would have children. So I always... I had such a shitty childhood. Like mum and dad would not allow me to do anything. And so I was not allowed to have friends. I couldn't have friends come to the house. I couldn't go and stay at friends' places. I was really, really dictated to. But Lynn could go around to her friends' places Mm. and things like that. And then I would get into trouble. So when I was about eight, nine or ten, I would steal from mum's purse 20 cents and I can remember one time I hid it in a sandwich (laughs) and mum came into the classroom and made this big deal about me stealing and found the 20 cents in my sandwich and I'd only stolen that 20 cents because I wanted to go to the tuck shop like all the other kids but I wasn't allowed to go to the tuck shop when I was getting older and we went to a high school. Nobody wore a uniform. This is back now in the seventies, and that you know, like you'd gone through all these hippies and things, and so uniforms were really starting to not be worn at all. And most kids wore jeans and things to school, but I had to go to school with my hat on and my uniform on, and go down the road with my school bag. And I would started taking clothes in my bag and change in the alleyway or change when I got to school. So they, Mum had this man across the road who lived our neighbour follow me a few times to find out what I did on the way. When I'd take my hat off and put in my bag. I'd get into trouble when I got home because Mr. So-and-so saw me take my hat off and put in my bag. You know, like, it was just, yeah. when I was eight, I was so fat that mum bought me a girdle. 
And so I'd have to wear this girdle. And then she told all the family, every time we'd have a family get-together, Cheryl's so fat, I had to buy her a girdle. <laughs> My heart's breaking. <laughs> it was just horrible. And so I guess particularly once I became a teenager, the, my bedroom and that little area in that lounge room became my sanctuary. I would just study and read mm. and th- that was my sanctuary. You know, they couldn't touch your mind, right? Like you could you could get smarter no. and you could read more and, yeah. yeah. I used to sit on the front fence of a weekend and wonder who my real mum was. Yeah. You know, I just would sit there and wonder. I remember so many times sitting out there wondering who she was because my mum was never really a mum to me. Yeah. Mm. But look, no, I won't say she was never really a mum. I was well cared for in the sense of I never really, you know, it, it was the love, the nurture, the compassion, the understanding, that that type of thing you, you never, ever got. Mm. Oh, I, I never really got it at all, although Dad was good, you know. Dad mm. was good, but I think Dad was very very managed in many ways by mum, but I can't understand how or why still because yeah. dad was a strong person, yeah. I've got a lot of dad. It, nature versus nurture is always interesting for me. Yes, yes. Mm. And I guess that's one of the really, when you look at adoptions or you look at twin studies, that's when you can really start to unpack that nature and nurture, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So how, like, now it makes all, so much sense when we hear you talk about that drive to be able to go and lose the weight and to be able to do these crazy six-day events. Like you hear your backstory, and I know that's just some of it, but oh, only a little bit of it. Yeah, I, I know, I know. I just yeah, and to think, no wonder, no wonder you had this drive so deep inside you to be able to conquer anything that you put your mind to as you grew up and grew older. I did, and I think probably I would have never thought about it in that way until I, you know, become much much older but I needed to get out of that home and my dad supported me to do that because Mm. I think that I think underneath it all he knew that he knew you know my mum and my relationship obviously was very difficult but he also I think knew that there was more for me but he would have never been able to talk to me about that yes never be able to say yeah so how have you then through these years, what what sort of things have you done to be able to start to heal some of that or like how have you got through, how have you coped, how have you survived? I don't know. If I think about leaving home at 17, which my dad wrote me a beautiful letter, which I've sadly lost over the years. Just when, when I got to rack school, he wrote me this letter that mum would never know he had written, just showing me that understanding how did I cope? How, I think I've made some dreadful mistakes just around relationships, I suppose. Mm. I've always wanted to find my natural family. Yeah. I had a need to do that. I've sort of done a lot of reading about that too, I guess. And I know that the girls, particularly that nurturing part inside girls, they tend to want to do that a lot more than adopted males. But also males tend to want to do it more once they've got their own children. Uh, if I had to think about how I move forward after moving out of home, yeah, I think that the first few years were probably me struggling and looking to find who Cheryl is. Mm-hmm. And how I did that, I think, was just a mix of enjoying my life 
in the army and starting to find me and understanding where some of my strengths lay. Something that really I have learned, and I probably learned by the time I was in my early 20s, was that I actually have got the ability to put my mind to something and do something with whatever it is I want to do. Do and and one of those first things obviously has been the exercise and and lo- losing the weight and exercising, and I think that that however I identified that and I don't know how it is I've never had therapy never ever have I had any therapy, so the next step along that continuum I think would have been me starting to study social work which is therapy in itself really yes, sometimes it has been I don't like social workers who actually how could I say it that have only done that to actually self-diagnose I don't like yes. that I think this has been incidental it just happened mm. I think that falling into the that would have been falling into the youth work and suddenly thinking wow I really liked it. It would have been nothing I would have chosen to do. Mm. I would have never, ever, ever. I'd always wanted to be an accountant or a teacher and incidentally have actually fallen into that. I manage all of our business books for our farming, which is quite a large enterprise, and I actually, I've been teaching at TAFE, so vocational education as opposed to, to other. So I think that I've incidentally fallen into things that have been great for me and particularly the youth work I think after the army has been what's probably helped progress my wonderful and exciting career which I had you know Mm. through through my 40s 50s just I've had some great working experiences going up into aboriginal lands and spending time and um, just the people I've met it's you say incidental. I say taking the opportunity with both hands and living life, you know. Um, yeah. These opportunities came up in front of you and you were like, yes, I'm going to try or I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to have the courage to say yes, yeah. even if there isn't a lot of women doing it or it's not something that's been done or, you know, you've kind of – I know you don't say that, but when I hear it, you've kind of broken the way for a lot of people in that industry. But also what I'm hearing is, and this is something that I really resonate with, is it's when you start to understand how your greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness, but what makes you shine? Like what makes you be the unicorn in the room? And for you, one of yours is your strength and your ability to apply yourself to something. And when you can tap into that part, that really core part of you that is brilliant, in its lane, I think you can start to open up a little bit more. I always imagine like a flower starting to open up and that's sort of what I heard when you were saying around that strength piece. Actually, you said something else that I think is something I love doing. I love mentoring and sharing my experiences and my knowledge and helping other women particularly find their niche in the world that they're looking for and I've got so many people that I've supported. I've still got some wonderful friends only because I have, again, just happened to run into them through whichever way and been able to mentor and support them and help them find, I guess, some of that, which I don't necessarily describe it the same way as you, just find that they have strengths in an area and help them. Yeah. I've really enjoyed doing that. I do. I still love doing it. I love that. I love seeing 
I've got a wonderful story about when I was working the youth work, which could be another time. Well, I'm thinking we're definitely going to have to do another <laughs> podcast, right? There's going to be episode one, episode two, episode three. I can see it already because we yeah. haven't. I I know, you know, it. We really haven't scratched the surface at all in this conversation. It goes so much deeper and so much more breadth than what we started talking about. But I think for today, the real message is, you know, that. The way that we see the world right now today isn't how we have to be tomorrow. I uh, absolutely agree. I've particularly the last 30, if I broke it up into blocks of 30, my first 30 years are completely at odds with my second 30 years. And where I am today, which I haven't even spoken about yet, is just incredible. Yeah. 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 And, you know, thank you so much for taking the time today. There's so many more questions I want to ask. So I would be, it would be such an honor and a privilege if you were able to come back on and we could do another interview at another stage, because I think there is, you know, even breaking down one of those things we spoke about or some of the things that we haven't even touched on in a little more depth, you know, going, going a deep dive into one thing would be amazing. You have so much experience personally, but experience academically and your knowledge and skill set in the industry, like even to ask you questions around your social work and working in the prisons and Mm, what you're doing mm. today and how you've managed to create the life that you're now living. So I I love to end the podcast (laughs) with what is something in your world, something, somewhere, someone that truly makes you belly laugh? Oh, belly laugh. I mean really belly laugh, you know, like that jolly kind of. Yep, yep. I just love, I just love jokes and stories and I love going and watching somebody like Cal Barron or yeah. Michael McIntyre or I love actually Shit's Creek, you know, that type of thing. I just <laughs> yeah. I love, I love, I love, I love laughing. I, I love wish everyone could fun. see your face because it's like we can hear it in your words, <laughs> but your face is just lit up like a Christmas tree. It's like eyes and the smile and the, I can tell how much you love it. I love, I love having fun. I, I love joking I love fun I love I love at the right time taking the mickey out of people and sometimes I've slipped up with that (laughs) (laughs) and it's so beautiful to hear that you can have so much joy after being through so much you know Um, one of the questions I love to ask people and it's a question for another day is can you have um, pleasure without pain you know that light and dark and both sides of the coin and maybe that's something that we can unpack one day as well I think we could unpack that and I say yes Mm, yeah. 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 Mm. So thank you so much. What's next for today? Where are you heading off to? Um, I'm just, I've got an appointment next and yep. then I'll be back home. I'm going to work from home today and I've got a couple of meetings on Zoom and all's good. How good is Zoom these days? Can't yeah. It's pretty amazing technology. Yeah. That's one thing I'm really grateful for out of um, out of COVID is the ability for you and I to talk like this or being able to interact with people all around the country. So thank you yeah. so much and we will chat to you soon, hopefully and, for round two. Uh, thank you, Ali, and I really appreciate this. Thank you. Yeah. What a ginormous story Cheryl has. I know I say this a lot that we don't even touch the surface, but in this case we didn't even come close. There's so much more to Cheryl's story and hopefully we'll be getting her back on the podcast to talk about some of those other challenges that she's faced. But the thing that really, really stayed with me, and you may not have heard this in the interview, but Cheryl and I have spoken about at length since the interview is – 
her life at the moment, you know, like how she's come through everything she's been through and how she set herself up with her partner. And, you know, I just, I want everyone out there to know that we do face challenges and we can move through them and that we can create the life we want to live. And you heard Cheryl's determination and her like just grit, right? Her resilience and her grit. And you'll hear more of that as we get her back on to tell more of her story. But I'd really love your feedback on this one, guys. Let me know your thoughts. When you listen, pop it in the challenges at Change Us Facebook group. And I really look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.